It is a very cold opening line. Mother died today, or maybe yesterday, I can't be sure. It comes from the book The Stranger by French philosopher and author Albert Camus. In his book The Stranger, the main character, Mersaw, is living a life under what is termed the philosophy of the absurd. In that, there is a horizontal picture of life that everything is meaningless, nothing really matters, everything is indifferent. So when his mother dies, at the very beginning of the story, he shows absolute indifference. No concern, no care, no grief. He has a girl that loves him named Marie, and she asks him, do you love me? And he's like, I just am indifferent. I don't, I, I just don't feel anything. In the story, he shoots and kills a man and feels absolutely no remorse or no guilt, anything. He is sentenced to death. And as he is sentenced to death, a a, a priest comes to visit and, and talk to him about his atheistic perspective that everything in life, nothing matters. Everything is absurd. There's, there's, there's no certainty. It's just meaningless. And he goes and to the guillotine for killing a man. Camus won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1957 and died in a car accident in 1960. But his writing embraced this thought of life just being on a horizontal level. We live for a little while, we get some stuff, we might have some moments of enjoyment, but basically everything is meaningless because you're just going to live for a little while and then you're going to die and it's all over. That's it. And I thought... What a horrific story to read. I read it in December. What a horrific story to read. And what a far different purpose we as believers have. Aren't you thankful that we have a God who created us and who knows us and who loves us and who sent his son for us and who saves us and secures us and gives us hope not only in this life but for eternity? And yet in this sense of Camus' philosophy of meaningless, kind of like Solomon in the opening chapters of Ecclesiastes, vanity, vanity, I've tried all of this stuff under the sun, living on this horizontal level, and nothing really brings peace or purpose or life, and nothing really matters. And then Solomon has that moment where he's reawakened to his faith, and in chapter 12 would remind us to remember the God of our youth. God has a plan for our life. He is personal and he is purposeful. And how he made us 
and when he placed us here, and because he made us and put us here for such a time as this, there is meaning and purpose in life, and the highest purpose we have in life is to live for his glory. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 31. It says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. With that, let's pray. God, I ask that you would take these next few moments that we have together, Lord, that you would move, that you would give us a fresh vision for 2024 and a fresh purpose for our life, that we're here for more than just temporary pursuits. There is meaning and purpose. Help us to find that today in your name. Amen. The beginning of December, I was reading something and four words, not in that book, but just as I was reading, four words came and just became very etched on my heart. And I thought, this is 2024. This is what I want to have as my, my key thoughts for 2024. And it is this, God deserves my best. God deserves my best. And so through the month of December, I'm thinking on that and thinking and evaluating my life and my personal walk with the Lord and my marriage and my family and, and my friendships and ministry and all of those things as I'm working through and thinking God deserves my best. And then I strolled into January and I was thinking God deserves my best. But sometimes we can do our best with kind of a, kind of an attitude. And I thought, it's not just that God deserves my best. So I added another word. God gratefully deserves my best. When I look at all that he has done for me, he gratefully deserves my best so that I can ultimately bring him honor and glory. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is writing about the freedoms of believers, how we're not under these stringent laws. But as he writes that, he says, look, the whole purpose of our life is to do this. That whether we're doing something that all of us do, whether mundane, eating or drinking, whatever you do, eating, drinking, whatever that is, do it all to the glory of God. And so, as we start this year and we look over the next few weeks, we're going to be thinking about living for God's glory. And I do pray that this would be a personal vision for you. 
That this wouldn't just be something that Pastor Buddy preaches on Sunday morning, but that this would get very personal. Because this is not just a a, a word for preachers, because Paul is writing to a church. And those of us who are part of the body of Christ, those of us who know the Lord, those of us who the Lord not only created, but he has saved and brought into his family. He says, I show and I have a purpose for you, and whatever you do, I want you to do it for my glory. So I want us to think about that in three lights today as we think about living for God's glory. First off, I want us to think about the foundational principles. The foundational principles. As we think about living for God's glory, then then we think, all right, if I'm going to live for God's glory, what, what really is the purpose of that and why should I do that? And let me give you three thoughts. First off, God is the best. (laughs) <laughs> why should I Why should I do my best and live my best and live for his honor and glory? Because he is the best. He is the creator. He is higher uh, and greater and infinite and more powerful and more wise and infinitely above anything that we as humanity can picture. And yet at the same time that he is infinite and above all things, he is still intimate and he desires to know us and walk with us in a Day, in our daily life, and whether we're eating or drinking or, or we're changing a diaper or doing dishes or we're under a car, God wants us to be doing that for his glory because he's the best. He deserves it. In Psalm 115, it, it really, the psalmist begins to, to look at the idolatry around him, and, and he writes this in Psalm 115. Not unto us, Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Because of your faithful love, because of your truth, why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. So we see three pictures that, that the psalmist gives us of God. That God is faithful in love, that God loves, that God is truth, and that God is sovereign. He sits in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. And now the psalmist says, now let's think about your gods for a minute. Let's take a look and think about what you're serving and who you're serving. Their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. Eyes, but cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Noses, but cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel. Feet, but cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throats. Those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. So basically, you got this God out here that you sculpted that can't do anything, that you have to lug around with you as you move from place to place, and he becomes what you want him to be. And oh, today, how people try to shape God into what they want him to be. Instead of looking to the revelation of scripture and seeing what the Bible says about God. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll take a little bit of this, but we don't want any of this. And so people begin to shape and they begin to say, my God is like this. And, and I feel this way about God. And let me tell you, God has already shown who he is in scripture. We don't need to redefine him. We don't try, we don't have to rebuild him. God is the God who has revealed himself in scripture. God is the best. The second thought on this is that God is not only the best, but God has given his best. We looked at this a month ago in 2 Corinthians 9, 15, where it says, but thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What did God give? He gave his son. 
In 1 John 4.10, it would say this, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the propitiation for our sin. So God loved us and sent his son, thanks be to God, for his indescribable gift. Now, we just had Christmas just in the last couple weeks, and many of us opened presents, and we got to have the excitement or the moments where we think, okay, what am I going to do with this? All right? And, and you have those moments, who can I re-gift this to, or will they find out if I take it to Goodwill? You know what I mean? And then you have those things that you think, man, that really is meaningful. You guys really thought about that. And when we look at God giving his best, he could not have given more than he gave. He gave his son. So, God is the best and God gave his best. So, then we take that logically and say, then from us, God deserves the best. That God would deserve the best from us. He would deserve our best. He is the best. He's given his best. So how do we respond? These are the foundations of this. This is why we're thinking about living for God's glory and not just for us. We're thinking about that because God is the great God of the universe and the great God of eternity. He is love. He is truth. He is sovereign. And he calls us then as we follow him that whatever Whatever we do, we do it for his glory, and whatever we give, we give to his glory, and however we serve, we serve to his glory. It's we're offering our best. They're the foundational principles. So that when he says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever that is, whatever you're, you're going through in life, do it to the glory of God. Now, as we think about this word, the, the word that is used here, the word do, we, we then think about this next part, and that is the, the theological challenge. Now, notice what it says there. It says, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. So, as we think about the theological challenge, it is this. Whatever you do, do for God's glory. Whatever you do, you're to do for the glory of God. That is in my life, that whatever I do. Now the word do is in the present active tense in the Greek. All right? Which probably means nothing, but this is what it means. It means this is continuous action. This is continually going on. This is the heartbeat of my life. Whatever you do, do for his glory. That in the present life, that again, whether I'm sitting in the kitchen cleaning off a, a table or I'm, I'm doing laundry or I'm raking leaves or I'm clearing the back deck, whatever I do, I'm to do for his glory. That means that when I go to my workplace and understand that before the fall, God gave Adam a job and that work though it may be challenging and hard, is not a curse. Work ultimately is a blessing. I didn't hear any amens on that. Anyway, I kind of figured that's where that was going. Uh, Anyway, work was given before the fall, and because work was given before the fall, work ultimately is a blessing. Now, it's harder after the fall. We got to deal with the, the... People around us and the situations around us and the things that break around us and all that kind of stuff. It is harder, but understand that when I go to work, I'm to work for the glory of God. 
then we take the converse of that. And that is this. Whatever you can't do for God's glory, don't do. Whatever you can't do for God's glory, don't do. My wife and I uh, sat down the other night and watched a couple episodes of When Calls the Heart. And she's laying on the couch and kind of leaning on me. And we're watching that together and had a good time and talking through it and just enjoying that. And you know what? Perfectly great. We can do that to the glory of God and enjoy that and open conversation between the two of us and just enjoy our time together. But what about some of the things that you might be watching on TV that might push that a little bit? Push the moral boundaries. Whatever you can't do for God's glory, don't do. That means what I'm listening to or what I'm looking at on the computer or what I'm watching on TV or how I'm acting or the attitude that I'm showing. In just a little while, some of you will go to lunch And you will find that probably, they may not say it, but they hope you know by now, you know, we're short-staffed around here, things might be a little slower. They may not say it still, but many of them are. And so how are you going to act when it takes a little longer for your food to get there? What kind of attitude are you going to show? Whatever you can't do for God's glory, don't do. That doesn't mean that, that I can't try to correct someone when they need it. But the picture is, is I'm not to be a complainer and a whiner. And life is not just about me. Matter of fact, life's not about you. That's the point of the verse. That whatever you do, you're to do for God's glory because life's ultimately about him, not about you. In 1847, Frances Ridley Havergold wrote a hymn. She was a poet, and it was put to words. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of your love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing only always for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages for thee. Take my, hold on to your wallet here. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my love, my God I pour, at thy feet its treasure store. Take my life. Take my life is the heartbeat. Lord, I'm not here for me. Take my life and I will be ever, only, always for thee. The picture of our life is it's not about you. 
And if you want to live a life of trying to say, man, we're going to accumulate stuff and I'm going to find happiness in stuff and I'm going to find happiness at work and I'm going to find happiness in relationships and everything in life, once I get there, once I get to that destination, whatever that destination looks like, whenever I get there, then everything is going to be great and it just doesn't happen that way. Because without God, without knowing God, Everything in life truly is meaningless. You're here, you get a little, then you're gone. So, let's think about the biblical application now. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, that whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, whatever we're doing, we're to do it for God's glory. But there are five passages in the scripture that specifically speak to us, specifically speak on how we can bring God glory in our life. And of these five passages, this is what we're going to talk about for the next five weeks, and how we can apply these to our daily life. Because again, whatever we do, whether we eat, drink, whatever, we're to give glory to God. And he picks again the most mundane things that everybody does, we eat and we drink. All of us will do that. We'll probably head out today and, you know, go have lunch somewhere or we'll meet with family and have lunch. We'll, we'll do something. And so, so the picture is, it's just in the normal flow, ebb and flow of life, you're to give glory to God. So let's think specifically. What can I do that I know will bring glory to God? First off, confess Jesus as Lord. Confess Jesus as Lord. In Philippians chapter 2, this is a passage that I refer to often, where Paul writes in Philippians 2, 5, to let this mind be in you which was also in Christ. And he goes and talks about how Jesus humbled himself and, and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. And then in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Philippians 2, 9 through 11, it tells us that one day, Every knee is going to bow. It says this. For this reason, God highly exalted him, Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And then listen to what it says in verse number 11. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That we will confess, everyone will confess at one time, Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But this is the time to do it. Many will declare Jesus as Lord as they face their condemnation. But today God calls us to salvation. So this is a salvation moment that I'm confessing Jesus as Lord. So the truth is, is that, again, as we think about our life, all of us have thought things and said things and done things that have disqualified us from a perfect heaven with a perfect God because we are sinners. That's the things that we think that are breaking God's laws or the say or that we do that break God's laws. And he cannot let us into heaven where he's perfect and holy. So that's why he sent Jesus, and that's why Jesus died. And Jesus died, and Jesus rose, and now he calls us to confess Jesus as Lord, to trust him alone as the only way of salvation. Some of you may have heard of the guitar player Christopher Parkening. 
Christopher Parkening was a classical guitar player. He picked up the guitar at age 11. And by age 19... He had a contract with Columbia Records. He had a very busy concert tour. And he was asked to begin and refresh the guitar department at the University of Southern California as a 19-year-old. And for 11 years... He was diligent in his discipline and his practice and in his concerts and in his teaching, coming up with his own guitar kind of style and method. And at the age of 30, he retired. But when he retired, someone invited him to to church. His life goal was to, I'm going to go live up in Montana on a ranch and fly fish the rest of my life. And he did, but he was visiting back in California, and when he was there, he went to Grace Community Church where John MacArthur is the pastor. Many of you know who John MacArthur is. And he said this, as he listened to John MacArthur preach, he said, I knew that I would stand before Christ and he would say to me, depart from me, I never knew you. You never cared about the things of Christ. You never cared about being obedient to my commands. You never cared about glorifying me with your life or with your music. All you cared about were your ranches and your trout streams. Depart from me. Now he's sitting in church. This is a successful guy. This is a guy who, again, at age 30 is able to retire. And he realizes, if he heard the voice of Jesus today, Jesus would be saying, depart from me. So in his own words, he said this, That night I lay awake, broken over my sins. I realized that my life was a total washout. I had lived a very selfish life, and it had not made me happy. Knowing I was a sinner before God, I gave my life to Christ that night for real, and I asked him to forgive me of my sins and to be my Lord and Savior, and by his grace alone, he did save me. That brings glory to God. When each of us humble ourselves, and many of you have done that, you have had that moment in your life where you said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I have to confess Jesus as the one who died for my sin and rose again. I must confess him as, Lord, many of you have done that. But there may be some who haven't done that. And you think, what in the world? I mean, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. Man, I'm trying to work up this ladder of life. And I, I think once I get there, and it just doesn't happen that way. You can spend your whole life in pursuits of stuff and money. And you come out unhappy. Confess Jesus as Lord. Bring glory to him, but find peace and purpose in your own life. The second way that I know, Philippians 2, 9 through 11, I can confess Jesus as Lord. But the second thing that I can do that I know will bring glory to God is to trust God. Trust God. In Romans chapter 4 and verse number 19 and 20, he's talking about Abraham and Abraham is an old man at this time, and he and his wife Sarah have been promised a baby, but they did not have their baby yet. And it says this in Romans 
He did not waver in unbelief as God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. As he was strengthened in his faith, as he was trusting God, God was getting glory. Do you want to bring glory to God in 2024? Trust him. Trust him. That's what he calls us to do. Third thing, bear fruit, bear spiritual fruit. In John chapter 15, and again, we're going to look at these verses over the next few weeks. It says this, John 15, 8. John 15, 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciple. God is glorified in this. What are you doing? Bearing spiritual fruit. That just as God's word is pictured as a seed in our life, that God wants that to grow. And listen, a seed, and especially when we think of a fruit tree, is not planted for the tree itself, but planted for the benefit of others. And so what we find is, is that God has planted the seed of salvation into our life, and now he wants us to bear fruit that is going to be a blessing to others in their life. It's not about me, it's about him. And as we bear fruit, and others are fed and blessed and encouraged and equipped and come to know the Lord, as that happens, God's glorified. That's the picture. God's glorified. Fourth, if you want to bring glory to God in 2024, serve him. Serve God. Back in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 in verse number 10. It says, just as each received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. He basically says this, at the moment of salvation, you receive a gift from God. You receive a spiritual gift. Okay? Because God wants you to do something. Your salvation is not just for your enjoyment. Life's not about you. Your salvation is about bearing fruit. It's about employment. It's about doing something now to bless and encourage others. So he says, at that moment of salvation, you're given a gift. And then in verse number 11, he says this, If anyone speaks, there are some gifts that are speaking gifts. The gift of preaching or the gift of teaching or the gift of encouragement. Sometimes the gift of showing mercy. There are all kinds of speaking gifts. It says this, if anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides. So that God may be glorified. God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be glory and power forever and ever. God wants us to serve. And then the last fifth thing is this. Persevere in suffering. Persevere in suffering. Same chapter. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 down in verse number 16 It says this, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. Glorify God in our time of suffering. I remember when Russ Martin came back and he was 
talking from, I believe it was from the Ukraine, and he was talking about the persecutions and the challenges that had happened in the past, and someone had asked, well, how did you protect your family? How did you protect your children when it came time to to, to face the persecution and the suffering that was around them? And he said, we didn't protect them. We prepared them. Do you have your finger up right now feeling the wind of culture around you? It may be that some of us are called to give glory to God in suffering. And as we refuse to recant, we refuse to back up, we refuse to stop, we refuse to be quiet, and we say, we answer to the highest authority, the Lord God Almighty. And even if we suffer, we suffer to the glory of God. God wants you in 2024... To live a life that brings him glory. And I pray that our heart would be God gratefully deserves my best. The last line of when I survey the wondrous cross says, Love. So amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. For the next 350 whatever days, you're going to have a choice. Am I going to live to the glory of God? Or am I going to try to live for me? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And I want us to take a moment today. I have taken the words, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee and prayed them this week over my life would you would you just say take my life Lord and let it be set apart consecrated Lord to thee and may I live for your glory God may be speaking to you about some things in in some areas of your life right now that you say hmm He's prodding me on a sin. He's prodding me on an attitude. He's prodding me on a disposition. He's prodding me on my calendar. Because it sure looks like life's all about me. Or maybe it's all about my wife or all about my kids. 
And God's speaking to you today and saying, let's do business. True joy, true happiness, true peace is found when your life is all about the Lord. Father, would you do a work? Just give me a fresh vision of my in my life. You deserve, you gratefully deserve my best to your glory. Would we stand, Lord, not just as attenders of church, but as an army together, as a family together, would you give us a heart to say, whatever we do, we're going to do for God's glory. As individuals, as a church family, may that be our cry. Lord, if there's someone that you're, you're speaking to right now, they may be very young in the faith, they may be someone who's very old in the faith, and Lord, you're just still, you're, you're still working on them. Your Holy Spirit's at work, and Lord, thank you. That means you haven't stopped, that you haven't given up, that you haven't quit. Oh, Lord. Would would we, at this time next year, look more like Jesus? For your honor and glory. Amen.